was singing the Beach Boys song, and then like there was a moment where everyone was like, "Oh my God, Montserrat!" <laughs> I thought you were gonna say that there was a time at Cassidy's where Zach practiced this joke on you because I totally see that. He as... probably did. Mm. He probably put on the Beach Boys like five months ago so that he could make this joke. <laughs> that Montserrat mystique, boom, boom, boom. Oh God. Okay. All right. Ready? Yeah. Let's do this. All right. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast brought to you by the mystically young, transcendentally hip, and spiritually lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Hey, everyone. Olga, I'm so proud of you for being (laughs) here and not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> trying to attack all of us. Yeah, so but w- w- explain to the listeners what you're doing right now yeah, and so why. I'm, I'm having a one-day liquid fast because my church is doing it as a day of solidarity and prayer. Um, I don't even know for what because at this point I'm so cranky and hungry <laughs> that I can't keep track of anything. Um, so yeah. not only are you not, you're doing dry January, mm-hmm. so you're yeah, not drinking so, with so us, but you're also not, not eating any. I, I did this with my... Did this being my the the no food fast thing, thing. The, the fasting thing, yes. the no thing food that Zach will never name the no food fasting um, with my men's group at my parish, and I was you were such a crank. It was terrible. I was very rude to everyone, um, and so, so uh, can you not do that for Lent this year? Yeah, it, that the, was like imposing penance on all of us. Yes. It, <laughs> It brought me no closer to God, and I think it just like drove us away from you. Yes. <laughs> so, Olga, um, I have the utmost respect for you. Right yes. Now. Oh, thank um, you. So, what isn't Olga drinking this week? <laughs> Olga is not drinking, but we are a Negroni, which is there's not really like a good reason for why we're drinking it, other than I looked in our bar cabinet and I saw that we had two out of the three ingredients, and so we just needed to pick up a little uh, vermouth because we already had the Campari and the gin on hand. So it's delicious. This thank is you. A Negroni. Cheers. It does look really delicious, too, guys. It's gross. Don't, it is you, very you bitter. You don't want Thank that. You. It's, it's good. I don't know if it's delicious. It's not, like, tasty. It's bitter. Okay, I'll take yeah. that. I'll take that. <laughs> who are we talking to this week, Olga? So today we're actually talking with Bobby Carley, who is a Jesuit and the founder of Ignatian Yoga, which is a spiritual community that embodies elements of Ignatian spirituality and yoga. And they have classes, workshops, and retreats. So we'll be talking about to him about mindfulness and what, what exactly Ignatian Yoga means. It's a great interview. But first, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Olga? So in Northern Ireland, there's been a recent surge in flu cases. So uh, certain parishes have been suspending the sign of the peace. So they're telling people that because of germs, um, when you go to shake hands and greet each other, it's actually one of the easiest ways to pass germs. So they're telling people to not do this anymore. Northern Um, Ireland and Northern Brooklyn. My parish has stopped giving out the the wine at mass because of the outbreak of the flu. I thought that was because father was thirsty. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would like to suspend that moment of the sign of peace where I go in for a hug and the person next to me goes in for a handshake and I just kind of get stabbed by their hand. Oh God, that, you're so a that hugger? Moment of, yeah, of course. But that <laughs> Strangers? Moment of, they're like every, yeah. everybody. <laughs> I, well, it's weird because I'll go to hug the people around me that I know and then... You don't want other people to feel left yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. So much to their chagrin, I go in for the hug and it's, yeah. I would like to suspend that moment of awkwardness. Okay. Well, I don't like that we're not doing the piece or the mm-hmm. wine because, you know, I feel like if we can't risk 
a little bit of a stomach bug for communion and Jesus's blood, then what are we here for? Yeah. And you can just do what I do. You could still greet everyone and just sanitize your hands privately when you go sit back down. And I'm fairly certain. I'm fairly certain that that little cloth that's being used to wipe the chalice definitely is getting rid of all of the germs oh, yeah. miraculously. Oh, Lord. <laughs> 100%. I have no doubts. <laughs> all right. What's next, Zach? So our next story comes from Poland, where dozens of clergy and Cassocks are participating in the 14th Alpine Ski Championship, started in honor of St. John Paul II, who was an avid skier and Polish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a competition where lay people, um, religious, priests all get together and in the spirit of healthy competition, uh, ski down the mountain. Um, I thought cassocks were optional. Cassocks are optional. Okay. <laughs> but it does make for a better photo. If- yeah, yeah, it does. No, definitely. So, so uh, in the spirit of the Winter Olympics, uh, good luck to all our priests skiing out there. What's next, Ashley? All right. In a new book by an Italian journalist called All Francis's Men, uh, Cardinal Bianamino Stella, the head of the Vatican's Congregation for Clergy, says that we could should consider ordaining... Um, older married men of good character to be mm-hmm. priests uh, to, you know, serve the Eucharist in isolated areas. So places in the Amazon or in the Pacific Islands, there are, you know, people will go months without actually getting the Eucharist because there is such a shortage of priests. So he's not saying that, you know, any immediate change is coming, but he's saying we should be open to the question, which is something Pope Francis has already said. We should be open to study. Right. And it's notable, yeah. because, as you pointed out, because it's who, who said it. Yeah. So it's a prefect for the, uh, what was it? The Congregation uh, for Clergy. Which seems so, yeah. very relevant, <laughs> relevant and very high session. up. Um, and also that it's important to note that we already have married priests in some parts mm-hmm. of the Catholic Church. Yeah. People who have come from like the Anglican Church. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yes. And in other other rites. So the Catholic mm-hmm. Church is made up of 23 rites. The Roman, the Latin rite is one. But there are other Eastern rites, especially where there are Catholic priests. Mm-hmm. Um but it's I, I actually got to write an explainer on this last year when it came up when Pope Francis mm-hmm. wrote it. So um, check that out at americamagazine.org. I'll probably be reposting it. Uh, so check out my own Twitter timeline for the brand. I like the word they use, very probity. Uh, so that's, very probati? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very probity? How probity is it? Very. very which uh, means uh, proven virtue. <laughs> Yes. Men of proven virtue. So it's not like they're going to like let like 23-year-old newlyweds become no, they, priests. They do seem very intent on like the idea of discerning marriage and the priesthood at the same time is not good. So yeah. like that you've already proven that like you're married and you can do it and yeah. it's not going to confuse certain things. But um, I don't know. This is a healthy sign. It start, and it's important because they're looking at the grassroots level. So like where in the local communities is this necessary? Because mm-hmm. like at some point you have to choose like what's more important, uh, celibate priest or the Eucharist. Yeah. And that's a no brainer for Catholics. So priest shortage is certainly an issue that's facing the church. But another big issue that the church is facing is it's young people. So what 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 do you have, Ashley? Uh, going, going, gone is the name of a new report um, by St. Mary's Press in uh, collaboration with the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate at Georgetown University. Um, so they did a comprehensive study of, you know, people between 15 and 25 who mm-hmm. have disaffiliated from the church. So what we usually call the nuns. Um, and they asked them. N-O-N-E-S. Yes. Not our, our other favorite, favorite nuns, <laughs> the yes. other nuns. So yeah, so people who have left the church, um, and so they—it's not just like you know, surveyed 
data. They, you know, mm-hmm. sat down and had conversations with these young people and asked them why did they leave. Um, so some of the big studies are uh, or, big findings. Sorry, some of the big findings were almost thirteen percent of young adults in the U.S. between eighteen and twenty-five are former Catholics. So like that's a big chunk that yeah. are former Catholics. It's like an entire religious subgroup. Yeah. Right. But interestingly, of these people, almost half of them are. They haven't given up on God. They're still looking for another faith expression or practice that better aligns with their sense of spirituality. So, Zach, you went to an event in Baltimore where they presented these findings, right? Yes. So I was at the launch uh, or the release of the study where there was a panel uh, that was recorded live for Minnesota Public Radio um, where they sort of broke open the stats uh that were found and some of the stories that were told. Um, some of the more surprising things were that 74% left between the ages of 10 and 20 and the average age of disaffiliation was 13. Wow. Which is when people started to no longer identify as Catholic. So they could still have been brought to mass or whatever or not. That feels like a lot younger than I would have expected. I, I think that in my own, you went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, you kind of have that built in. But for me, when it was just like, Mass and Sunday school. I do think around middle school where like your social life or sports became more important and your family was less important. Like you're, you know, it kind of became a chore mm-hmm. to like go to Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, 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 I can see in my own life, I, it definitely became less important to me around that age. You know, more to more than the uh, social aspects. So like friends and sports mm-hmm. and uh, other things that were going on on Sunday. Also 13 is sort of when you start asking big questions, right? Like, and if you don't have good answers to big questions, it's really easy to just kind of be like, ah, these people are kind of all full of it, Mm -hmm. right? I don't know about you guys, but I can see like distinct moments in my life where if things went a certain way, Mm -hmm. I have a very similar life, but one where in which I am not really engaged in my Catholic faith. Yeah, I think I, like Ashley mentioned, I've gone to Catholic school my whole life and I work in Catholic media. So if I... I often take that for granted, but I think if I didn't, it seems so shocking to me to have people at age 10 kind of identifying this way, but because I had very clear models of faith in my life since I came to this country, you know, Uh, but I could totally see if I didn't have that, I would be living a life that's very similar to a lot of my secular friends, you know, Mm -hmm. and and having gone to public school and, you know, I went to Sunday school with a lot of people and I can probably count on one hand the number of those people who are still affiliated with the church um and uh, one of the most common answers uh respondents to this survey gave was you know you don't need to have religion to be a good person right and i look at you know i look at my friends who don't go to church every week or ever and i'm like they have a point (laughs) like you don't have to go to church to be a quote-unquote good person so i think there needs to be a more the church has to have an, mm-hmm. an answer to that totally well and i feel like everyone is sort of looking for this came out in the conversation around the release is that everyone was looking for the one thing that would make young people mm-hmm. care more and i like whether that a lot of people brought up the sex abuse crisis which i don't think that's why millennials mm-hmm. are disaffiliating mm-hmm. um people brought up like different uh doctrinal issues like you don't just believe in the teachings but then again you can find just as many people who you know disagree with certain church teachings but stay catholic as who leave. So I don't know if that's it. Um, I don't think there's a silver bullet necessarily in my own life. It just became like someone gave a crap about me in the church, right? Mm -hmm. Someone, you know, took an interest in me, you know, in my own life and my own suffering. Um, 
in my own joys, in my own questions, took them seriously, gave them thoughtful answers, and then, you know, invited me back to other things. And that w- happened in a youth group environment for me. It happened, it can happen in a Catholic school environment for mm-hmm. others. It can happen in a family environment for other people. But if that doesn't happen to you, inertia is going to pull you away, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, right now, it takes an intervention into your life to pull you back in. Yeah. And I think I just to maybe end on like a more hopeful note, like just because someone says at age 13 that they're done with the Catholic Church does not necessarily mean they're a lost cause. Like I knew I, it all at 13, okay. actually. <laughs> I, I didn't. I did. I really didn't. I mean, I really took ownership of my faith in college when I didn't have someone dragging me there and I had to make a conscious decision of whether I was going to go or not. So I think, you know, it would be very silly to give up on someone <laughs> for who considers themselves a nun at age 10. Yeah, totally. All right. What's next? So Pope Francis just got back from his trip to South America, um, but on his flight to uh, Peru, I feel like he, the biggest news always happens on the plane. It does, yeah. and it's, you know, most of the time it's because he's given an interview. Pope Francis has given an interview or something, or said something crazy. But that's not really the case this time. This time he married two flight attendants. Wait, he married them? Well, he celebrated the marriage. Okay, got of. it. Got it. And so uh, on the flight. He was talking to two of the flight attendants who uh, explained that they were civilly married, but the church that they wanted to get married in um, had been destroyed in an earthquake while they were planning their wedding. And so they never got around to getting uh, married in the church. And Pope Francis was like, you want to do this right here, right now? (laughs) And like, Pope is like, put up or shut up. I'm right here. Let's do it. And I don't think you say no to that, really. Right? Nope. The Pope is like, you want to get married right now? It's like, yes, yeah. 100%. We, we have a great video, um, an, an interview with these two flight attendants right after it happened. Uh, and they're just so happy. Yeah. It's such a beautiful uh, event. And like, there was pushback, right? There's a little pushback. Like, some people are like, did they go through pre-Cana? <laughs> <laughs> How did the Pope know that? Um, but also, I mean, like, it's important to recognize, like, what the Pope was doing was, on the one hand, a PR stunt, right? Because he wanted to show that you know if you maybe got married in uh a secular way at a courthouse on the beach or whatever (laughs) and you haven't gotten it uh recognized by the church the church is still here and you should consider you know having your sacrament recognized by that community never too late all right what's next olga in other pope francis news during a flight in chile pope francis was asked about his support of bishop juan barros uh now this bishop barros allegedly he's being accused of covering up the sexual abuse of uh, a priest called fernando caradima um one victim juan carlos cruz even claims that barros was present while he was being abused by caradima and pope francis stated that the day they bring me proof against the bishop then i will speak he's since apologized saying and he's asked the vic- he's asked victims for forgiveness but it's still kind of problematic because he said that he shouldn't have said proof. He should have said evidence because he doesn't want to judge this bishop without there being concrete evidence against him. Sounds like a pretty Jesuitical apology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In the worst, in the worst in the, way. Yes. Yeah. Right. It, 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 again, as you said, we have eyewitness accounts. Which mm-hmm. Are, mm-hmm. And eyewitness accounts are mm-hmm. what he's using to, you know, condemn the priest of this initial mm-hmm. abuse, but mm-hmm. that same eyewitness account is not enough to, you know, hold this bishop accountable. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it just, 
you know, Pope Francis has done a lot um, to kind of begin to repair the church's the church's handling of the sexual abuse crisis. But this is still very tone deaf, and it's very it very much undermines what victims are feeling in this moment. And a lot of people are rightly frustrated by him. Right, like if you don't have concrete, like documented mm-hmm. proof, then you then no one's going to believe you. Mm-hmm. I think is a message that some people get. And yeah. like what this was happening in the age before most of the abuse was happening in the age before people had like cell phones to Mm -hmm. like take out and record things like Mm -hmm. all you have is eyewitness accounts Mm -hmm. usually right right so So, yeah this is definitely i think a blind spot in mm -hmm. pope francis's uh papacy so far so but i think he is getting pushed back and hopefully hopefully he's open to listening to that Mm -hmm. right i don't know listeners what do you think did you pay attention to this have you been paying attention to how pope francis has handled uh the sex abuse crisis in the catholic church what do you think? Let us know. Send us an email at Jesuitical and AmericaMedia.org. And now joining us via Skype is Bobby Carly SJ. He is the founder of Ignatian Yoga. Welcome to Jesuitical, Bobby. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, we're very excited. So I know Ignatian Yoga draws on Ignatian spirituality and yoga, and you offer classes, workshops, and retreats. So what exactly happens on one of your retreats? Well, it's quite similar to other Ignatian retreats with uh, a talk from one of the teachers, uh, and then some reflection time, some small group time, some group prayer, journaling time. Um, but instead of sitting in chairs and or at a table and listening, you're on a yoga mat. Uh, can can you explain Ignatian yoga? Because I, you know, I know both of the terms separately. But is there anything specifically about Ignatian spirituality that lends itself to the practice of yoga? Like, could you just as easily easily have like Dominican yoga or Franciscan yoga? Or I guess the the yoga itself isn't like a. We're not designing a new style of yoga. Um, it's more we do yoga and we're on an Ignatian retreat, or we're doing yoga and I'm a Jesuit teaching it. Um, but so it's not like something that's a totally different style of yoga that we're creating, but taking, it's typically a slower paced intentional style of yoga. Um, and especially at the end in the final resting pose, um, would be inviting, maybe reading the sushape, the take Lord receive prayer or some, um, beginning or ending with, um, an Ignatian, uh, prayer or some Ignatian concept. So Bobby, is everyone who goes on these retreats Catholic? Or do you get a mix of different denominations? Yeah, all are welcome. We actually did a Google form survey that's um, before this one coming up in New York. And um, majority, pretty much everybody is Catholic. There's a couple lapsed Catholics and um, a couple Catholic converts. But all are welcome. We've had some of the retreats. We've had people who just know one of the teachers uh, and who aren't Catholic and who don't know anything about Ignatian spirituality and come. And they've been like, wow, this thing, Ignatian spirituality is pretty cool. And and I've actually met some, a few people have come up to me after retreats and talked about vocations. So I like to tell my superiors, you know, it checks the box of vocation promotion <laughs> and evangelization and all that. So, yeah. Yeah, because I would imagine that, I mean, you know, it's yoga, I feel like, has sort of exploded in popularity in the United States right. among young people. And I would imagine while religion is doing the opposite of that among young people this would be a way to sort of maybe bridge that gap yeah so it's looking at okay where are people where are young people these days and like what the study a couple years ago said 36 million people it's probably now over 40 million people in the united states are doing yoga so where do we we could keep these separate right of like you go to you can be catholic or you can practice yoga um and i think that's what a lot of people have heard is like these two are incompatible they can't be connected 
Or we could say, well, wait, let's take this. This seems to be a helpful tool, a helpful vehicle for uh, opening oneself up to Christ. And that's where we've, I'm inspired by you guys, a smart Catholic take on news and politics. That's kind of what I've, as I listen to you guys, I try to think of, okay, how can we be a smart Catholic take on yoga? <laughs> nice. I like that. So, yeah. <laughs> so can yoga, you, you kind of described it as being a, a tool we can use. Um, can yoga just be, is it just can it just be stretching or does it always come with kind of a more spiritual aspect that you have to either integrate or ignore? Um, I don't know. Like when my parents do yoga, I'm pretty sure they're just stretching because they're worried about like being mobile in their older years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. is that how you see it or do you kind of integrate the spiritual side of yoga and the physical part of it? Yeah, this is the big question. So what is yoga? Um, is what's the authority on yoga? Is it can yoga just be exercise? Is it spiritual? Is it? Um, so I think there is a whole range and it's been adapted and practiced in many ways. For me, though, yoga is it connects the spiritual, the physical, the athletic as I practice yoga, it opens me up. Like I found in that first year of practicing yoga, I was uh, at the end of a class. I just come from a come and see weekend to uh, at the Jesuit novitiate that was in Michigan at the time. And on Sunday evening, I went to a yoga class, was lying there in the Shavasana final resting pose. And I had a moment where I felt the embrace of Jesus um, holding me in his arms, wiping the sweat and tears from my face. And so I thought, well, did I manufacture that? Where did that come from? But I, I don't know what that was exactly, but um, I think it showed me that two, two things. One, that I think yoga helps me get out of my head into my heart. And when I can get out of my head and more connected to the body and to my heart, I think that's where God can speak to me more. Um, and also I found in that moment that this this calling, this vocation uh, was something real and something I had to pay attention to. And so I think yoga very much helped me make that next step to enter the Jesuits. It kind of reminds me of that, that old joke about uh, Franciscan and a Jesuit. Both of them wanted to uh, smoke while they prayed the breviary, and the Franciscan <laughs> asked his superior uh, if he could smoke while he prayed his breviary. And the in the superior says, "No, what goodness, no! You know, you should be focused." Whereas the Jesuit, you know, goes to the superior and he says, "Hey, is it right if I pray my breviary while I smoke?" <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Like so, did you have a Did you have a form of conversation like that with your own superior? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's certainly tentative at first of like when I entered the Jesuits of how much they would support this. Um, and, and that's a question people ask me a lot. Like, are you supported by, and and yeah, I've, you know, I've, I think it's the important thing is being discerning, being prudent in all of this. And so I think having those superiors who've been able to find that and discover is this of the good spirit, right? Um, and that's, that's that constantly discerning, right? How to integrate uh, this spirituality in a in a mindful, intentional, um, thoughtful, intelligent way. Yeah. So, Bobby, when yeah. we when we mentioned to our listeners that we would be interviewing you and kind of talking about Ignatian spirituality, one of the questions that came up was: Is yoga is is this a form of cultural appropriation using yoga in this way? So, mm -hmm. kind of how do you how do you answer that when you get those kind of questions? Yeah. Good question. I saw, actually saw that on uh, Twitter. And, ooh, I think I'll, maybe I'll wait and see if you guys throw that one at me. <laughs> um, I mean, it's the yogis brought this to the West, right, and shared it with um, people. So you had um, Swami Vivekananda, right, in the 
uh, late 19th century, uh, Yogananda, um, Iyengar, right? They're bringing these teachings to the West and sharing it. And they're saying, use this in so much as it helps, right? Um, this is not religion. You don't have to be to worship this God. You don't have to be Indian to do this. Um, so I guess I look to them and, and, um, and say like, no, yes, yoga is connected to Indian culture as it, this is the majority of its history was came out of an Indian context. But it's not necessarily Hindu. They these two have a lot of are connected. Uh, but yoga is also Buddhists have done it. Jain people have done it. The first actually translation of the Yoga Sutras was by Al Biruni, uh, a Muslim man in in Arabic. Right. So it's been uh, adapted and used and appropriated in many ways. Um, so I don't think it's something to necessarily a. A harmful cultural appropriation necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's important to be aware of what this is, to be aware of what you're saying, right? To be aware if you're s using Sanskrit chants to know what they mean, and um, and to be uh, a respectful um, visitor, right? If you're going into uh, uh, a space to pray with somebody of a different religious tradition, it's like know what you're doing, know what know what's happening. So I think it's all about intentionality, right? What's your intention? I was going to ask because so the way it has been appropriated, you know, in the popular imagination, it's kind of for upper middle classes shopping at Lululemon, buying really expensive yoga gear. But that, yeah. as a Jesuit, I don't think that's your audience mainly, right? Like you, you take this to different um, populations generally. Yeah, so it could be the audience. I mean, certainly a lot of people that come on the retreat are people who can, who maybe wear Lululemon, um, and that's okay. Uh, they're welcome too. <laughs> All are welcome at um, this, yeah. in this place, right? Um, yeah, so I want, you know, I think Ignatian Yoga can reach ev people everywhere, right? On all different, um, I think people could benefit from Ignatian spirituality and yoga from uh, regardless of your socioeconomic level or race, ethnicity, gender, age. Um, so I hope that through the retreats, we can, we'll be able to generate some income to be able to then offer uh, retreats. And so we actually, last week, I had a conversation with the Ignatian Spirituality Project who offer the spiritual exercises to homeless populations. Um, actually, people facing homelessness. If I was listening to your show last summer, that fellow who went to like Scranton, who mm -hmm. builds mini houses for the homeless. Lemoyne. And I remember Lemoyne. so. Well, I'm learning from your show. It's, uh, <laughs> um, uh, but but offer so if we can find a connection here, build some mini mini yoga, yoga studios. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Mini yoga no, but but being able to team up with Ignatian Spirituality Project mm -hmm. and teach yoga to offer it to people in jails. I have a, uh, that's where I kind of got my start was teaching on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. Um, so. Yeah, I think it's reaching reaching all populations. Um, is there a tradition of like I, I don't know a natural connection I see here is like the importance of posture in prayer, right? Are, is there something in the Christian tradition that uh, speaks to that importance, or in the Ignatian tradition? Yeah, so well, there's a bit in the spiritual exercises uh, at the beginning. One of the annotations is assume the posture that um, works best for you, uh, possibly walking. So using some uh, form of exercise, perhaps before. So Saint Ignatius doesn't say too much about posture. Um, a little more than he does about chastity, which is uh, be like the angels. It's pretty much all he says about <laughs> chastity, <laughs> but not much more about the physical. Uh, <laughs> Helpful, Sadie Ignatius. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Setting the bar uh, pretty high. 
<laughs> but certainly different traditions, different um, centering prayer has been used a lot in like the Benedictines and Trappists. Um, so I think there is some, but... Um, well, I think that's one of the first things that if you take someone who's not raised Catholic to a Catholic mass, one of the first things they point out, it's like almost a joke, is how much they're sitting, standing, kneeling, sitting, standing, kneeling, right? <laughs> and, um, so, I mean, even, you, you don't have to go that yeah. far back into, into the tradition, but I think compared with other, maybe mainline yeah. Christian traditions yeah. in the United States. Yeah, what else? What do you guys think? What are other areas of connection do you find possibly between yoga and Ignatian spirituality or yoga and Catholicism? That's a good... I, I, the posture thing, I think, is one of the things that made a lot of sense to me. I remember being um, in youth group and someone telling and someone telling me that like you should put your arms out like you were getting crucified if mm-hmm. when you were meditating on that. And like that's mm-hmm. a little much, I think, but, um, but also like instructive or like the importance of of actually kneeling if you were praying in your home if you haven't done that before just to like switch things up and like um be in new place like your body's important and how your body is responding to prayer i think um matters a lot and it's something that we ignore we think of it as something that happens in the head only Mm -hmm. um i don't know what do you guys think i'm I'm whore i I, i've only tried yoga once and i was so (laughs) bad at it i've actually i've practiced yoga on and off for a few years. And I think that one of the way it helps me is like, Bobby, you were mentioning earlier that it kind of really helps to calm your mind and kind of quell all of this anxiety that someone might have. And I think when I find that I've been practicing yoga, it helps me be more mindful. And it actually makes me think less of myself and actually think more of the people around me. And I think that very much helps me to find God in whatever situation I'm at. If I'm more much more present and i don't think i would be able to have that mindfulness if it wasn't for the yoga that i was practicing mm, no. yeah i'm very self-conscious nice. when i'm doing yoga <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm like am i doing this right <laughs> i'm awful at it but i'm like why can't i touch my toes <laughs> i was i was in a park full of people and I was the only person that the instructor walked up to and said, you know, you can just lie on your back if this hurts. <laughs> Childhood back. Yeah, Child and I said, no, nothing hurts. But I think that's kind of the community that you get when you go into like a yoga space, that it's really non-judgmental. It's just everyone kind of... I felt very of... judged in that moment. <laughs> well, aside from Zach, I feel like it is a, very much a space where people are just encouraging and just much more mindful than you this might is, be yeah, on a regular day. I don't know. This is something that came up when we were um, prepping for this interview is, you know, in terms of something that the church could take from yoga um zach mentioned that like when you go to a yoga studio Mm -hmm. your instructor knows your name and Mm -hmm. like is wondering where you are if you don't show up one week which you know is not really the case if you don't show up to mass no (laughs) one's texting me and being or sending me an email saying like we noticed you weren't here the yoga studio i go to sends me postcards with like handwritten postcards so that sense of community really is there Yeah. yeah All right, so maybe, listeners, you could find this sense of community and some Ignatian spirituality if you go on the retreat with Bobby Carley. So can you give us the information about how listeners could get uh, free passes to the retreat on February 2nd to 4th? Sure. So we, well, on IgnatianYoga.com, we have a, you can go there, but also uh, the Facebook page. So to get to enter, we so we sold out the retreat after Jim Martin uh, made a post back in November. We got the Father Jim Martin bump. <laughs> got the, the bump. Best. <laughs> I thought I would out try to outdo Jim Martin here because probably the only way I could do it is uh, by he. You guys often give away his books, right, on the yeah. show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I give away two free passes for the coming upcoming sold out uh, retreat. Um, so if you're interested in going on that. 
You can go to the Facebook page, like the Facebook page, and share it with a friend. And we'll be randomly selecting one of the person who shares the post uh, next Tuesday. So it's a quick turnaround. The retreat's coming up next weekend. Uh, but if you don't have a chance or don't have the weekend and you're in the New York area, we're going to be doing an evening at St. Francis Xavier Parish in Chelsea, Jesuit Parish. Um, and on and that's not sold out yet? So people can that's still do it? That's not sold out? No, we should have plenty of space. Uh, okay. We're going to have them do it in the church there and talk about a welcoming space. I'm so ex It's such a beautiful, welcoming community at St. Francis Xavier. So I feel really blessed to be able to to offer yoga in that space. And we should mention that Brother Joe Hoover, who is a former guest of the show, is mm -hmm. also helping out on this retreat, too. Yeah. Cool. Well, Bobby, this has been really great. Uh, one final question for you. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or non-Catholic, who would it be and why? Yes, the part I was most excited for. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, so the person who I've been thinking about for a while that um, would be Nikki Myers. So Nikki Myers started Yoga of 12-Step Recovery. So she was brought together yoga and the 12 steps. Um, and so that's been she's been a real inspiration for this, for Ignatian Yoga. So through her own experience of being in recovery, she was um, a drug addict. She was a sex worker in the 80s. She was um, got sober, relapsed again, and that wasn't until the mid-90s when she found both yoga and, and the 12 steps helped her stay sober. And uh, so she travels all over the world and is a pretty big name in the yoga community. So check out Nikki Myers, Yoga of 12-Step Recovery. She's amazing. All right. Great. Well, Bobby, awesome. thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a, such an honor to be talking with you all. Great. All right. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Now it's time for some listener feedback. Last week, we talked about one of our signs of the times was whether churches, Catholic churches, should be keeping their doors literally open more often. So. Yes, so not locked. <laughs> not locked. So yes. you could go up to a Catholic church at 10 p.m. and walk in and pray. Or at 2 a.m. Or mm -hmm. 2 a.m. Or 4.31. Um, and we got a lot of feedback on this. Um, uh, one email came from Luz Baez Tackett. Um, so she talked about how um, recently her father was dying and she was trying to get in contact with her parish to find someone to bring communion to him and do the anointing of the sick. And she, you know, called the parish and just got the runaround. She couldn't get there between nine and five because she had work. Um, they were closed on holidays so she can go then. Um, so she was just very frustrated by this process. So she told us it's not always that the literal doors of the church are closed, but the heart and service we profess to live by is often closed. So the sense that the sacraments are only available nine to five, I think is mm -hmm. really troubling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then Rose from Canada, who works as a pastoral assistant um, in an inner city parish that works in an area known for substance abuse and homelessness, writes that she was disappointed that the point of view we expressed on the show seemed to be very far removed from the reality of parishes in non-affluent areas. Um, she points out that if they ever left the church unlocked, it would be vandalized and the safety of staff and parishioners would be very much at risk, um, which is valid, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you to Luz and Rose. Uh, we always love hearing from listeners. So please write to us at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. And don't forget to go to our Twitter page if you want to enter for the two spots at the Ignatian Yoga Retreat. We have instructions there. 
All right. Now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Zach? So this week I have a desolation. This past Friday was the March for Life, um, mm-hmm. which is something I've been to uh, many times, both as you know, as a high school student, as a college student, as a reporter. Um, and I wasn't there this this year, um, but I was sent into a period of desolation um, because of uh, President Trump speaking at the march. Uh, this the cause is something I spent a lot of. I've put a lot of time and energy into, I was president of the pro-life club at my university. Um, I've, you know, helped out at women's shelters. I've been to the March. Um, and something about seeing, uh, president Trump and the, what, the policies that he's represented in, um, other areas just felt sort of farcical. Um, you know, Catholic news agency reported that there were, uh, some DACA, protesters that showed up to the march mm-hmm. and some of the marchers started chanting build that wall at them um, at the march for life um and so stories like that just i i, I was in this movement I, I still am in this movement this pro-life movement and I, a few years back i felt very hopeful that maybe we were making a shift in connecting with people and changing hearts and minds um and it seems recently that we've just sort of gone all in on winning at all costs and the gospel doesn't necessarily call us to win but it calls us to change hearts and minds so my not being able to see hope in this movement has brought me desolation this week yeah yeah what do you got uh ashley yeah i also have a desolation um so last week we talked to carrie weber about this uh new survey that america has about women in the church um and i know i i shouldn't be surprised anymore that like reaction to things online can be very hurtful and mean and trollish Mm -hmm. um but just being so involved in this and knowing how much work carrie put into it and then when we released this survey like almost like uniformly on twitter were just people just like mad that we had even asked women these questions and like questioning the validity of it and just like saying very hurtful things about quote-unquote real catholics um so like that was frustrating because, you know, we profess to work in a media ministry. So it's we don't have the option of just like writing these people off as Internet trolls. Like we know that it's a real person on the un- other end of the of the computer and they profess to be Catholic. So I guess the desolation is like I found I did not find a place in all this to like move forward productively. I, I don't know how to respond to people in social media in a way that you know, shows them Jesus or brings them closer to Jesus or brings me closer to Jesus. It just seems like this kind of like cesspool that I've yet to figure out um, the the light in. So that was hard. (laughs) What about you, Olga? I've got a consolation this week. Um, So I've mentioned in past episodes that Enoch, my boyfriend, and I go to this community group weekly. Um, And I was very apprehensive. We've been going for about two or three months, I think. Are these the people that are making you not eat food today? No, no, no. These are not the people. These are not the people. Um, (laughs) These are not them. Um, So I've been going there for two or three months and I was very apprehensive about it. It's uh, predominantly, everyone is predominantly white. They're a lot wealthier. And I was just like, eh, they're not going to be able to relate to me. I'm this woman of color from the Bronx and I'm not going to learn anything from these people. So I've been very like mm, hesitant to like kind of get to know them. 
And then last week, we kind of switched. Normally, everyone goes in, you read some scripture, then you talk about it. But last week, they completely changed the format. And it was just like, hey, what's going on in everyone's life? And like, let's pray together. Um, And this one woman was sharing how either her her daughter or her daughter's friend had just had a stillborn and like how that had affected them. And then we all kind of prayed together. Um, And I just had this moment where I was like, oh, my God. These people have, one, opened their the doors to their homes to me, one. Um, two, they're sharing their joys and sorrows, like, with us in a space and just being super vulnerable. And then I was just kind of like, you have to be more humble and just be more open. Like, everyone here is, like, we're all people of God, and I can't judge them for that, you know? And just once I was able to kind of get off of my own high horse, um, <laughs> it, was, it was really nice to just realize that you are literally seeing God in the experiences of these people, even if they look very different than, I, than you do, you know? Um, so that was very consoling for me. That's awesome. And good for you for having an open mind like that. Yeah. <laughs> I should have one towards Twitter trolls, I guess. It's hard, though. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter trolls, it, it's really hard. I, I just mute them. That's how I do with them. <laughs> All right, Ashley, get us out of here. All right. Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Engineering by Angelo Jesus Conta. Adverbs provided by me. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. And please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to BibleMan333 k.ad.e and trip tip africa and send us your questions feedback and cocktail recipes and tell us where you found god this week at jesuitical at americamedia.org for american media i'm ashley mckinless with olga segura and zach davis we will see you next week <laughs>